Drops the throw, sets his feet down the left side. He's going for LaVisca Chanel, who cuts inside the defender. And he comes up with a football. Oh, are you kidding me? That is a touchdown. Touchdown, Colorado. By the wide receiver, LaVisca Chanel. And what a way to set the record for Steven Montez. Here comes the blitz. Hit, and it's picked off on a throw over the middle. Caught by Nate Lamon. He runs it up the near side, and he stumbles across the 30-yard line. Tripped up by the quarterback, Eason, and it's a turnover. Montez, under center. They give it off on the end around the LaVisca Chanel, who runs over the top of an offender and discards the defensive player and chucks him aside and works his way down to the 30. That right there came down to a will and a want to. Falls to the ball, takes it chest high. He scans, he looks, here comes a blitz. He is grabbed by Perry, and he's sacked. How about that play by the freshman? Montez is snap, play action, sets to throw. He's going for the home run. Tony Brown is in the end zone, and he makes the grab. End zone, touchdown, touchdown, Colorado. Oh, what a throw. Oh, what a catch by Tony Brown. Welcome into a new Buff Stampede radio. Adam Monster Tiger, the publisher of BuffStampede.com. Glad to be joined by fan correspondent Tyler Ziskin. Tyler, it's been a little while. I think the last time we did a podcast was right when this whole coronavirus pandemic really, uh, the, the shutdown began, basically. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I know we did a, a little bit of the top 40 breakdown, but yeah, I'm yeah. not sure if I've done a podcast since then, for sure. Uh, not much to talk about, obviously, but we're getting back into it a little bit. So, you know, it's nice to talk about some things besides what's going on in the world right now, for sure. Before we started this, you mentioned that you've been able to get out to play some golf. The, the first round of golf I played, it was like the most cathartic feeling thing in the world <laughs> to actually get outside. And yeah, you're, you're trying to be smart about it. You're not, uh, you know, handing clubs to people anymore and, and you're right. not getting in people's face, but just to be around other people and get outside, man, that w- it was amazing. And I've gotten two rounds and I need to get some more in. Yeah, I think I'm on six now. Um, The first one was at Evergreen, which I'd never played before. And honestly, I was a little nervous about it. Um, Like being around the clubhouse with a bunch of people, I wasn't a huge fan of at that time. It's obviously started to lighten up now. But um, once you get on the course, you're by yourself, basically. So it was great to just be out there. And the weather's been great the last couple of weeks. So yeah, my wife and I closed on a house on June 1st. So it's also another thing. We're so busy with that, that even if it wasn't for the coronavirus, we still would have been kind of focused on that. So it's another way of it kind of feeling like normal. Um, how are you doing other than that? Not too bad. I can't complain. Just trying to figure out what we're going to do for the next couple of months here, basically, and try to get things back to normal and figure out what the next steps are and everything. I mean, it's I've been happy getting out in the sun a bunch, which is awesome. Yeah. Well, voluntary workouts are set to start at CU on Monday, obviously with some restrictions. It's going to be smaller groups. They're going to have to wear masks when they're around the facilities. Uh, But I I think that's going to be huge for them as well. I'm anxious to hear what guys stayed in shape, which guys uh, are going to – because it could be kind of an equalizer in terms of some position battles. Absolutely. I mean, there's there's a new staff as well, right? So they're not going to know what this guy looked like six months ago when he was playing the only information they're going to have is how does this guy show up from being left alone for three months? Uh, It's going to be a big first impression for a lot of these guys. So definitely I agree that, um, you know, there's a couple guys on the team that have had a poor reputation for staying in shape in the off season. And if they come in that way this year, they're probably going to fall behind the eight ball. 
the meetings are still going to be conducted virtually. Uh, we don't know that there was a kind of a, a plan put in place to where uh, the, the workouts would become mandatory in, in mid July. And then they'd start camp. Um, I think the, like the August 6th or 7th, if I'm remembering correct. Uh, and, and the hope is that they're still going to start the season on time. Uh, are you optimistic, pessimistic when it comes to that? I'm definitely more optimistic than I would have been a month ago. That's for sure. Um, they're definitely, there's a concerted effort to get it done. Uh, I'm not, you know, it's too early to say whether or not that's the right choice or the wrong choice. I don't know. I'd be surprised if there was full stadiums in most places around the country. I think I'll go as far as to say that. But in terms of being able to get the season underway, I mean, if they find a way to do the NBA and the NHL and we'll see about baseball, you would think they would probably find a way to make college reasonable as well. Um, I did see today that Houston had six guys test positive, and so they're shutting down all their athletic return. Um, So that's not a positive development. We'll have to see if other schools follow suit there. But that's the first sign of, you know, a step in the wrong direction I've seen so far. Obviously there's so much money at stake. That's why they're going right. to try to do everything they can to get the season in yeah. it. It seems like it's well thought out, you know, with CU they're they're testing obviously for, for the virus and for uh, antibodies and uh, they're going to check temperatures and everything. They're, they're doing everything they possibly can. And even at that bus March, which we're going to talk about later, you know, you saw pretty much everybody with masks on. So uh, it's good, but yeah, Houston, you, you brought that up. What, what happens when a team is really affected by this, whether it's the summer or early in the season, mid-season, late season? Um, I, I'm optimistic, too, that there will be some semblance of a college football season, but you can pretty much guarantee that it's, it's not going to have there, – it's not going to be a season with no hiccups at all. No, definitely. I mean, it's going to be weird. I think at this point probably tailgating is going to be – Difficult to say right now that that's going to be happening without at least heavy restrictions. Um, I don't know what the number is, whether the stadium will have 5,000 or 25. I don't know that number, obviously. We'll have to see how it goes. But I think for a 100% certainty, things won't be back to what we would deem as normal, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I I think with CUs, their capacity, I can't see them going more than 10,000. And even below that, you're going to have to have have it really – systematic in terms of when people can come in and and where they're going to be sitting. And I would imagine, you know, I've done it twice now since gyms reopened. I've gone to the gym when I I anticipated that there would be very few people there just to, you know, lift weights for, for an hour Mm -hmm. or so. Uh, And and they do a temperature, at least in my gym, they did a temperature check. And again, that's not fail proof. Uh, You know, you hear one day that if you're asymptomatic, you're you're not as contagious. And then the next day you you find out that maybe that's not true. And so it's crazy that we're this far into the virus and yet there's there's still so many questions out there. Right. I mean, it's novel, right? It's a brand new thing that we just don't have the answers for. And I think that what people don't understand is that's a majority of the reason why people are scared. You know, it's one thing if you know, if you get it, how do I react or what's going to happen or what are my chances, you know? where there's a lot of math out there and a lot of guessing about how things are going to develop, but we don't really know yet. And I think that mystery is probably what's causing the most panic from the average person, I would say. Yeah. And Rick George, you know, it's, it's been a tough year for him. He, he goes in for back surgery and and that's when Mel Tucker leaves and he's got to go through a coaching search, him and Lance Carl. And and now you got to figure out, okay, 
what, what the plan is going to be. And, and you can't do that right now. You've got all these different scenarios that you're, you're planning for. Um, and even in the best case scenario, you're still not going to have a full stadium. Uh, and if people, if people have a right to get their money back, if they're not going to be allowed into the stadium, um, you know, maybe you, you try to get the, the great thing, I guess, is that Rick George has proven to be a great uh, a guy that's been able to to fundraise really well. And, and, and they're going to need that ability from him, I think, this fall. Yeah, I've seen. I mean, it sounds like they're going to ask to for people to donate their typical season ticket amount. Um, I think there's a difference between asking and forcing, obviously. Uh, every situation is different. But I know for me, I definitely spend a lot more on season tickets than I probably should. Uh, between basketball and football and donating to the university and stuff like that. So if I'm not actually going to get the benefit out of it to me, I, you know, for me, I need that money back probably, you know, I'm getting married this year, you know, so there's a lot of people that are going to be willing to donate it to help. And I wish I could too, but everybody's situation is going to be different. And I think it's going to be tough to have a blanket statement for how it's going to, how each individual purchaser has to use their money. As media, we've already been kind of warned and nothing's official yet, but that throughout camp, I mean, we're going to be doing post-game interviews via zoom. And it sounds like even if we're allowed in the press box and, and obviously not as many people will be allowed in the press box as usual, but the regulars will. And uh, it sounds like even post-game interviews are going to be done over zoom. So it's just going to be bizarre. And, you know, yeah. I, I like to travel with the team to, to most road games. Uh, I'll usually not get to one for whatever reason, whether it's family or something else. But uh, this year, the, the ticket prices are so cheap. I, I almost thought about going on Southwest and getting all the road trips planned. But then we hear that, you know, if we're going to have to do post-game interviews via Zoom, even on the road, yeah. what's the point of flying there? You know? <laughs> I mean, outside of being, you know, you're you're there to do a job. So it's a little different outside of being able to like watch the game as a fan. I don't really see the benefit for you. I got to be honest. Yeah. Speaking of Zoom, we got a chance to get on a zoom call with the new assistants at, at CU. It was three year, uh, three months delayed because we were supposed to do a meet and greet back in March. And I, I was pretty impressed, you know, the, the way these guys kind of complement each other, you know, you've got Danny, Danny Langsdorf, who's kind of cerebral. He doesn't really, he basically has no social media presence, but he's intelligent. He's experienced. And then you've got Chev who's Chev and even said, <laughs> I'm a, I'm a type A personality. So those guys seem to mesh pretty well. Um, Taylor Embry was awesome. He, he's in the thick of it right now. He's got two young kids that were interrupting him throughout his Zoom call, uh, but lots of energy. You can tell that, uh, you know, he's loving everything about this opportunity. Uh, Coach Rod, absolute gem, uh, very honest, very infectious personality. Uh, you, you go on a 10-minute Zoom call with the guy and you feel like you've known him for five years. And <laughs> so uh, I, I think he's going to be the higher on the staff that exceeds expectations the most in the future. Uh, Chris Wilson, obviously we know he's experienced, thoughtful, uh, good teacher, coach meets, obviously tons of energy, infectious personality. And again, I love how his personality com compliments Brett Maxey, the safeties coach, because Brett Maxey has been around the block a couple times and, but he's, he's very soft spoken, very deliberate with his words, but he, he was sharing stories about the past. You know, he talk about, a story for 10 minutes on there. So uh, I don't know. You'll see all the features we've done. We've done a couple of them already, but do you have any thoughts on this staff as, as you've continued to see, you've continued to see them recruit and some of the stories maybe about them? Yeah. I mean, it's always like, I haven't met a lot of these guys personally um, except for the ones that are still there. And I try not to 
talk about who someone is until I actually get to see it for myself. Um, for me personally, as a guy who grew up in this generation, I personally am a little worried about the social media presence of this staff, not every individual on the staff, but in general, it's one thing that I definitely have concerns about, but you're right in that there's got to be multiple personalities. Not every guy on the staff can be the exact same type of person. People react to things differently, right? And you can teach people in different ways. So I'm not going to just say, oh, okay, because Brett Maxey doesn't have a social media presence. He's not going to be successful here. That's ridiculous. You know, it, people have to do things different ways. But it, it is one thing that I think is important to keep that trend going because the last staff did do a great job with that. And I think it does really help uh, build a bond with the fan base. Um, you know, people feel a lot closer when they have personal connections to the staff, the players, et cetera. Well, it's been encouraging talking to recruits that have gone on virtual visits with CU and Carl Jarrell is going to have, obviously he's not going to have that dynamic personality, but he is so well thought out that these visits uh, have, have been so well planned out that you, you talk to recruits that have gone on like four or five virtual visits. It's sure sounds from their comments, like she was the most, most organized, you know, with their, their virtual visits. Yeah. And I think that's important too. You have to be able to dominate this changing culture, right? I mean, obviously we're doing things a little differently than we're all used to. Um, especially this staff in particular, not being on social media as much is probably even more of a challenge because there is a lot of technology involved with what they're having to do here. So they're going to have to lean on the right people. Um, sounds like it's going well. I, listen, I can already see how this is going to play out. This is a very small staff. We're going to hear, I mean, a very small class, sorry. We're going to hear a lot of complaints about what we're ranked by the time signing day comes around and stuff. I don't know what you really do about that. I mean, you can only sign so many guys. They obviously have not been put in the easiest situation. So I hope people have a little patience. Um, I'm not going to sit here and say I, I love what they've done so far or I don't because it's way too early in the game. I mean, it doesn't matter right now what their recruiting has accomplished. All that matters is what they do by the time February rolls around uh, or whatever they have to move signing day to. Who knows? But you know, there's, there's a lot of time left and they're going to have to pick and choose and get the right guys. Um, obviously we heard today on the board that there's a four-star quarterback. That's definitely looking promising for us. That would be a huge addition in the class that usually jumpstarts things. So we'll see if you can get that done. I think people will start uh, being a little more settled. Darren Cheverini came on there as well. And he kind of teed it up for those new assistants. And he talked about what he learned during his first stint as a play caller in 2018, talked about how he understands you can't just have it focused on your best player, obviously LaVisca Chenault. Uh, and that offense was humming th through the first five, six weeks of the season until he got hurt at USC. And then uh, they just really struggled after that point. So he learned from that. They're not going to be up-tempo all the time like they were then. I know D.J. Elliott was a little bit frustrated at times uh, during that season when his defense maybe had to be on the field too much. Cheverini talked about how they, they want to get play action more involved. And so uh, they actually weren't an unmitigated disaster statistically that season. And Cheverini has been a recruiting rock star at CU. If you're going to keep him around here in Boulder, you're going to have to give him another opportunity to call plays. So I'm actually cautiously excited to, to see what he does, you know, in that role. Where, where are your expectations with him? I would say they're slightly below that. Um, you know, every year is different. And I think it, he talked about this specifically in the interview, but 
just like players, they got to learn how to do this too, right? I mean, he's not a veteran play caller that's been failing for 25 years. You know what I mean? He did this once. It didn't work out great. Uh, in hindsight, that's probably not that surprising. First time around, you're going to make a lot of mistakes. Uh, and he did. And what I will say about him is that he's owned it. It wasn't. He hasn't made excuses about why they're there or what's happened. I mean, he said, yeah, I need to be better. And I'm getting a second opportunity and we'll see how it goes. Um, I do agree. A, that we have to have an up-tempo approach, but also at the same time, you have to know when to use it. Uh, There are times in the game when you can really step on somebody and, you know, finish the game because the the momentum's on your side. But there's also times where the defense is reeling and you got to slow it down and try to grind it out a little bit. Uh, Plus, we have, I think, the team right now is more capable of grinding it out on the ground a little bit. So you're going to have to use a little bit of both of those things, mix and match, and kind of keep the defense guessing. You met, you said no excuses in there. Carl Durrell is, is kind of continuing that no excuses approach when talking with the media. He was on a conference call with us on Monday and a number of times was just kind of asked about the, the lack of spring practices and being a new staff and not being able to get in front of guys. And he kind of turned around and said, well, no, this is actually giving us an opportunity to, to kind of get everything sorted out. And he said that, you know, they're they're further ahead now than they normally would be in terms of installs. Now, obviously, they don't have, as he pointed out, the, the actual physical reps out on the field, which uh, I don't know. I, I, yeah. I, 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 don't, I actually don't buy into what Carl Durrell is saying. I think they're in a really bad spot, but I like the fact that he's not saying they're in a bad spot. Yeah, I mean, it's. I get what he's trying to say. He's obviously not trying to set that mentality that they're screwed. Um, and I don't know that they are, but there's no way that they're basically in the same spot that they would be uh, there's a big difference between mental reps and physical reps. Uh, everybody knows what to do when they're pulling it off a piece of paper, but when you get out on the field and you got other people going against you, it's a little bit of a different ball game. So, yeah, you know, he, he does have an excuse for me. Uh, this is that he's obviously been put into a tough situation. Now I don't expect it to be an unmitigated disaster either. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I appreciate that he's going with that approach that, you know, everybody's in the same boat. We got to figure it out. But yeah, I mean, I think he's probably doing a little bit of selling. You participated in the Top Buffs countdown voting. We've had uh, Brian on there and William as well, kind of talking about some of these guys. Just want to get your overall thoughts as you put together both your newcomers list and your list with the, the returning guys. Was there anything that kind of struck you about this? Because you've been we've been doing this voting now for, I, I think, four or five years now. Yeah, I think the one thing that stands out this year is that there's definitely more depth. Um, it probably is aided by the fact that we used to do 40 people and this year we did 30. So it was a little bit of a different ball game, but, um, to me, there's more guys with potential on the back end of the list than we're used to seeing. Now on, on the, on the opposite side, I would say there's a lot less legitimate guaranteed talent on this in particular, this year's team. It's a small senior class. There's some guys that we know for sure are going to step up, but especially on the offensive side of the ball and in the secondary, there's a lot yet to be proven. Um, it's a tough schedule, so we'll have to see how it shakes out. But, I mean, there's there's definitely guys who are going to be in this program for a couple more years that make big impacts, and that bodes well for the future. Chris Miller and Jalen Stryker were listed at safety on the pencil depth chart that was sent out to us here pretty recently. Mark Perry still at star. So you've got Josh Allen listed as the backup at star. And if you include incoming freshman Torrin Pittman, that gives you six scholarship safeties or I guess star players as well. Still not the number you would probably want ideally, but 
um, at least we have an insight into kind of what they're planning to do at that position because we knew after signing day that there were going to have to be some guys moving over to, to that position. Yeah, and on paper, I like the Chris Miller move because he's a bigger guy that definitely is pretty athletic. He's a good cover guy. However, he wasn't able to stay healthy at corner, so how realistic is it that he's going to be able to stay healthy at safety? Uh, that's yet to be seen. I'd lo- I mean, he's a guy that I love. I've been a big supporter of his throughout his years here. I think he has NFL potential if he stays on the field. Um, so we'll see how he takes the, the position move. I mean, because if it works and he ends up being a starter, that would be huge for this defense. Yeah. The Antonio Alfano saga b- continues. We hear he's not enrolled at school anymore. And then uh, Carl Durrell tells Brian Howell that, hey, he's still got a path back. I, I want the – it's it's not that I don't wish good things for him in the future, but I'm just kind of honestly sick of talking about him, to be honest with you. I mean, I think I was sick of talking about him before he even signed. Um, there, I had very low expectations from the beginning on this. There's a reason that the number one player in the country ended up at Colorado. We talked about that before. He's done a lot of things that he uh, shouldn't have. And that doesn't mean he can't turn it around, but the odds are pretty slim at this point when you walk into a second opportunity and you immediately blow it. I find it hard to believe that he's going to pull himself out of this based on what we've heard. It's not just one thing. It's just a continuous pattern with him. So, um, you know, obviously I hope that he turns it around and that he has a great career and he goes and plays in the NFL, but I won't be holding my breath. Yeah. If you're holding your breath, that's probably gonna have a bad outcome for you. Uh, Buffs, had a silent protest or not a silent protest. They had a peaceful protest uh, to kind of address the social injustices in this country. We called it the Buffs March had a great turnout. I think estimated around 500 people. It's crazy. That was Carl Durrell's first time to get in front of his players since he did those individual one-on-one player meetings uh, when when he got hired, but uh, really cool that that, that they were actually, I think the first group of athletes in, in, the Denver area to actually do something like that. I think weren't they? Yeah. Um, a quick turnaround, I think for Darrell, because there was kind of some whispers that like, oh, okay, he hasn't said anything. And let me be clear. He's a coach. It's not his job necessarily to be that guy that speaks out on social injustices. I get that. But at the same time, he's a black coach that predominantly has black players. And I do think it's important at least from a player perspective that they have to trust that he's on their side here. Now, I don't know if he said anything off social media, which is why I don't think it's fair for him to get criticized. But at the very end of the day, his players better feel really confident that they've got his back in this scenario. And I would say the same thing about Tad Boyle and anyone else too. Ultimately, his job is to make sure that the team feels like he's protecting them and on their side. So I I was happy to see them do this because I think it's a step above what many of the other coaches who are getting praise had done. It was an actual action instead of just putting something up on social media. So to me, that's a big step and um, has made a lot of positive change in Boulder. I mean, Boulder obviously has a history of some issues with this type of stuff and um, anything that they can do to legitimize and move this move, this um, movement forward is huge. In my opinion, it's something that we have to keep at every day. It can't just be something that disappears after a couple weeks. Yeah, after George Floyd's death, some of those statements put out on social media were awesome. And some of them, frankly, were just, you could tell the person felt like they were obligated. They had to right. do it. Yeah. And you, you have Carl, Carl Durrell, who maybe didn't put it up the day that other people started to. But mm-hmm. that uh, 
that Monday they had uh, a team meeting and a lot of people spoke their minds. He, he talked about how it was uh, very emotional. Um, and not only did they do the Buffs March, but Carl Durrell said that they, they want to be conscious of not letting this issue just fall off when something else big hits the news right. and that they plan to do something every month throughout the season, not necessarily a protest, but, uh, Actions speak louder than words. And I think sure. this is this is the case for uh, for, for Carl Drell that, that that's the way you really should approach this. Right, and I, I will say there's you know there's a lot of people what people have decided what Carl Durrell is already based on what he's done before. But I think the one thing I feel pretty confident about is that he's a father figure. He might not do it in the light, so to speak, um, but those players are going to know that he's there to support them and that he's going to think thoroughly about what the best possible situation is for him, his team, his players, his staff, et cetera, et cetera, to make sure that they're doing right, the right things in the world today. Throwback Thursday features have been fun to do on the site uh, here, kind of filling content with, with not as much news. And we're actually getting quite a bit of news now with recruiting and everything going uh, with the, the players set to go on back on campus. But uh ESPN, I think it was, was it last Thursday or the Thursday before that? They they played the Miracle at Michigan. I know you put on social media. Yeah. That was the first time you'd watched the game from start to finish. Yeah. I was just curious what uh, what your thoughts were on that game. It was a terrible game. Oh, my God. Now I know I was really a miracle. <laughs> I mean, I happened to turn the game on. I think it was 21 to 3 or something when I turned it on. We gave up. We didn't score the rest of the game until the very end and gave up, I think, like 24 straight points. It was ugly, man. <laughs> if you had just showed me that two two quarters of play, I would have been like, wow, there's no way uh, we actually win this game. So, um, yeah, I had never really realized that I hadn't watched the whole game ever. But uh, now I know that there was two miracles in that game, the, the pass, but also that the game wasn't over in the third quarter. Yeah. CU student athletes recorded their best GPA during the spring semester, a cumulative GPA of 3.111, 12th straight semester for CU student athletes collectively having a GPA that exceeded 2.9. Uh, it's great to see. I, I don't know how much of a pass was given after the shutdown and, and how much yeah. teachers could just kind of try to, you know, not, I, I would imagine that there was some leniency given there, but still it's pretty impressive that, that they were still still able to accomplish that. Yeah, I mean, it's you know, it's not like they all of a sudden had three sevens. So it's within the realm of what they were seeing before from an overall um, athletic department. You said it was 12 semesters in a row? Yeah. That's, I mean, obviously a lot, long-standing success there. So that's pretty awesome. I mean, ultimately the student does come first and, you know, most of these people are going to graduate and move on to careers. So it's important that they get that education too. Zephaniah Mahea became commit number three for the football program with the 2021 class, a three-star inside linebacker from Liberty High School in Nevada, had nine other offers, Boise State, San Diego State, Utah, and Washington State were some of his other options. What what are kind of your overall impressions of his game as a linebacker? He's a headbanger, um, which, you know, you need that. Obviously, this is football. At the end of the day, being more physical is usually going to put you out on top. Um we talked a little bit before we started recording, you know, I think maybe pass coverage is something that he's going to have to work on moving forward, but also there's time for that. I mean, the scheme is going to be different at this level. Um, You know, some linebackers in general, they're not going to be in pass coverage that much. So he's probably going to play that role for us. Um, He gets after the ball. And I mean, ultimately as a linebacker, that's what you need to do. So he's, he's a guy that's going to bring some physical nature to the program. And I think we need more of that. 
Yeah. It's like when he knows where he's going and what he's going to go hit, he's, he gets there in a hurry. Uh, other circumstances, uh, like you mentioned in pass protection, doesn't look the most natural. Uh, CU starting middle linebacker kind of, kind of, like, as you mentioned, kind of, kind of reminds us of that yeah. a little bit. Um, but uh, the thing is he's got kind of a college ready frame. The, the question is how much can he build on that? So uh, we'll, we'll see there, but uh you know, I like the commitment there. Let's, I think it's uh, good to get back into Nevada too. Just to yeah. be clear, uh, it's yeah. not. I think that's a state that we should be focusing on more. Jumping over to some basketball topics, Anthony Coleman headed back to Arizona State to join their coaching staff after just one year in Boulder. I think how big of a loss this is depends on obviously who they replace him with. I thought that he did a really good job in his one year here, but it's not like he was bringing McDonald's All-Americans and all of a sudden uh, you're super worried about it, at least in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I liked him. I thought he was a good addition to the staff. Um He'll be a loss. I think the whole situation is a little bit weird to me. Correct me if I'm wrong, but he was fired from Arizona State, wasn't he? So, to, it wasn't fired, but it was kind of like him. Him and Bobby Hurley weren't meshing all that well. Which, again, to your point, makes it strange that he's back right. there after a year. So, but, yeah, yeah, I get it. You know, he's getting more money. That's the assistant. You don't assistant college life is fleeting. Yeah, you know, you get the money when you can. I get that. I'm not faulting him for that, but the whole situation between him and Arizona state, it just seems a little fishy now. Like, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't have anything to back that up. I'm just saying off the cuff that it feels a little weird, uh, but good for him. I mean, he's back where he was comfortable at the beginning. He got much more money, which is great. I mean, Arizona state obviously has more money going into that program than we do. Uh, but I hope we continue to beat them. The Buffs got two quality walk-ons for basketball. Isaac Jessup, whose older brother is the all-time three-point shooter in Mountain West history, and Owen Kuntz. Uh, A lot of these walk-ons come in, and they're just practice bodies. Every once in a while, you'll find a guy that could actually play a few minutes here and there. Until they actually start practicing, it's hard to say. But both these guys really shoot the ball well, especially Owen Kuntz. He was above 50% from three-point range as a senior. Yeah, and I know we talked about Jess's brother, obviously. Does Owen Koontz have an older brother that played somewhere too? That I'm His not name, sure about. We should look into that. His name sounds super familiar to me, like maybe at Northern Colorado or something. I think okay. he had a brother. I don't know. I'll have to look into it. But, yeah, I mean, they can both stroke. Doesn't well, he's, necessarily he's, mean he's, you're going to play it. He's not, he's, not, he's not related to Dalen Koontz, if that's what you no, mean. No, no, <laughs> no. No, it's spelled different. Um, yeah. No, I, dude, the name just sounds familiar. It could just be from watching him as a prospect or something maybe, but. I don't know. I feel like there's another there's another Koontz out there that played college ball. Okay. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, anytime you can get a walk-on that can contribute, that's huge. We'll see if that happens. We've had a couple that we thought were going to contribute and never really got on the court. So we'll just have to see. It's just basketball, it's just so incredible. These guys are so good. Oh, yeah. With the level of, of ball at CU in, in, you know, in the Pac-12, it's just Trust unbelievable. Me, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Trust me, I know. I could shoot in high school, too. I was nowhere near being able to play at the D1 level. Yeah. So. <laughs> the NBA draft withdrawal deadline is pushed back to either August 3rd or August 10th. So with McKinley Wright, uh, at this point, though, I don't know what, what is really benefiting him unless they have an NBA combine. I don't, I don't think they're going to, right? Yeah, at this point, I'd be surprised. Um, just based on his social media presence, it already feels like 
he's coming back. I mean, just like based on how he's interacting with the team, the staff, and just how he's talking on social media as compared to Tyler, where it appears pretty clear that he is not returning. So, um, yeah, I'm not sure really what the weight is. Maybe there's, I, I don't know all the details. So maybe there's a benefit for him to stick it out for a while. I would be pretty shocked if he didn't return though. And yeah, the expectation is he comes back with the incoming guys. Uh, what, what are your expectations for, for CU men's basketball? Are they, are they less than they were going into this season with, with Tyler Bay on the roster? Oh yeah. You mean, what do I expect this yeah. year's team to be better than last year's? No, yeah. no. I, I would be at least 90% of the season, right? No, I don't think they're a team that potentially will make the Sweet 16. Um, I think most people think this team can't make the tournament, though, and I think that's wrong. I definitely think this team is capable of making the tournament. Uh, we'll have to rely on some youth to fill some gaps. I think we're definitely going to miss Tyler Bay, not necessarily from a production standpoint, so much as a statistical standpoint. Like his his actual like advanced metrics – what he does on the court. Uh, I can't see this defense being nearly as good with Tyler gone. And it was an elite defense last year. I think that's going to be the big issue. He was really um, successful in the mid range as well, which is a tough skill to have. So, I mean, obviously we're going to have some guys that are going to need to come in and provide an impact right away. But I do think this team will have the best collection of guards we've had since Spencer and Eskia left. Yeah. the There's three big questions here, right? It's, are they going to get, you know, how ready is Bartholomew and Clifford? You know, how much can those guys give you? Deshaun Schwartz, is he the player that he was in the first half of last season, or is he the player down the stretch that kind of disappeared? And then how much can you get out of Dallas Walton? At least for me, those are the the big question marks as you look at this roster and the potential for next season. Yeah, I mean, I think between Jabari Walker and Jariah Horn, you're going to have to have one of those guys provide legitimate minutes as well. Well, Horn will for sure. I mean, he's already a proven guy at this level. Yeah. The question, is he going to play some five in this system, you think? Uh, I mean, I guess it depends on who we're playing. He's, he's a physical frame. So, I mean, I think he's, you know, he's not a freak athlete or anything. Um, he's, you know, I can't compare it to Evan Batty. They're not really the same type of player, but they're both undersized and probably – more thick than the average basketball player. So you can push some people around, especially if they're skinny. Um, he'd be an interesting matchup on the other end because the center is going to have a lot of trouble, a lot of trouble guarding him uh, as a quality three point shooter. So uh, th- we could create some mismatches there potentially. I think the CU alumni are not in the TBT this summer. I think they have a smaller field this year and uh, I love how it gets those guys together, but I, I think he, he, as a fan base, ju- judging on how people uh, we're so excited the first couple of years they did it. It didn't seem like there was that excitement anymore about it. No, it's kind of lost its luster. And it's not really the fault of the CU team. I, I think the tournament would be a lot better off if it had to be alumni based. The fact that yeah. there's an uh, all-star team from Europe that's in the, in the tournament and wins it every year kind of, you know, like it defeats the entire purpose. That team is better than everyone. Uh, yeah. So it's not quite as fun. I think it would be a lot more fun if you had 64 or 32 or whatever the number of teams were of guys that literally graduated from CU or Marquette or DePaul or whatever. Yeah. And I think that would be a lot more fun. Yeah. Even like they Kansas lost in the first round because they have so many guys that actually go on or are playing in the NBA right now. So right. Uh, CU would actually be kind of in a good spot uh, yeah. in terms of if, if it was set up like that. Yeah. I mean, amongst this, 
the true college teams, they were they're in the top three every year. Yeah. Well, I'm excited, Tyler, because shortly we're going to record the third episode of CU Sports Jeopardy. It's going to be the Battle of the Tylers. You and Tyler Murray, of course, uh, from the Free Balling Podcast, who uh, I'm sure, hopefully, at least the listeners of this podcast subscribe to that as well. Uh, what, what's your? Are you excited? Nervous? What, what, what are you? What are you feeling here? Uh, well. Three years ago, I would have been a lot better at this. I am mean, admittedly not as focused on CU lifestyle as I used to be because um, of work. So um, we'll see. I just hope to not embarrass myself too badly. It wouldn't be the first time if I did, though. So we'll see. Hopefully you threw some, uh, threw some you know, softballs in there from the basketball side of things for me just so I can you know, pump up my ego a little bit. There you go. <laughs> All right. Well, that was fun. We do, we're not going to do a Buff Stampede mailbag today. Just again, uh, we're kind of short on time. We've got that CU Sports Jeopardy coming up. But uh, Tyler, it was great catching up with you. Excited, uh, optimistic about things right now. We'll see how it goes. Hopefully, the next podcast we do, we're, we're talking about them gearing up for, for fall camp. Yeah, that'd be awesome. All right. Thanks again, Tyler. And thanks to all of you for tuning in. See you guys.